Shepard likes to talk about you know being able to do amazing things with an experienced crew, uh, and a lot of people saw it that way. I, I I saw it a little bit differently. You know, there's sure people might not have been experienced doing that kind of work or working on that kind of vessel, uh, like maybe I was. But even then, I kind of wasn't that experienced and that's a, it was a new ship to me too yeah. but everybody had we had people with so many different skills that you might not have thought were were that important you know if you can if you can weld if you can if you can turn a screw or, or uh, use a hammer uh, effectively then that can be really really important mm-hmm. that was animal activist and sea shepherd drone pilot roy sasano this week's guest on episode number 11 of the plant powered activist podcast What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. The Plant Powered Activist podcast lives on. Yes, it's very exciting. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if anyone even noticed or cared about the fact that I um, stopped putting out episodes like back like six months ago or something. But, um, yeah, I stopped (laughs) and I am starting again, which is very exciting for me and hopefully for um, some other people as well. yeah, it's like, I don't know, like before, when I first started this project, I did not realize like how much work actually goes into this. You know, it's it's a lot of work putting out um, a podcast every single week. And I don't know, maybe I just wasn't ready for it at that time. I kind of just, uh, I don't even really know what happened. I kind of just, kind of just stopped and um for a long time now i've been wanting to get back into it i've been kind of bummed about the fact that i just kind of quit all of a sudden um didn't even like say anything about it or anything um but i really feel like it really is a beneficial platform for me and um it's definitely something that i want to to, to continue with. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. I've finally, finally gotten, uh, I finally feel like I'm ready to, to, to start up again. And, um, you know, I, I, I really want to give it another shot of, of doing like weekly episodes. Um, and I'm just going to see how that goes. If it feels like it's just too much, I'll probably, cut it down so I'm doing I'm putting out episodes every two weeks um so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna see how I feel but for now my goal is every week so that's uh that's what you can look forward to that's what you can hold me to so before we get into today's episode um I'll just take a minute here to um tell you a little bit about what I'm trying to do here with the Plant Powered Activist podcast now that I've started it up again and kind of you know, kind of, kind of the direction I'm going with it. So for those of you that don't know, my name is Darius. I am a musician. I am a writer. Um, I am a health and fitness, um, enthusiast. I am a vegan activist and I am just an all round 
passionate lover of life, I guess. Um, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn and absorb new information and work to become a better person. But outside of kind of just taking care of my basic needs, um, my biggest priority in life at this point is being of service, not only to other people, but to the animals of this earth and, of course, to the earth itself. Um, you know, I feel like being born into this privileged position that I'm in, into this in this privileged society, I feel like I almost have a responsibility, a duty, to give back and um, and share what I know with the world. Um, and so I'm con this is constantly what I'm thinking about. I'm constantly trying to think of new ways and more effective ways of of communicating to people and and you know getting say, saying what I what I have to say in a more effective way. And so I created this platform a couple of years ago called Plant Powered Activist because I want to inspire more people to number one start eating more plants, but then. I really want to inspire people to take it even further by becoming activists themselves and being, you know, being part of the solution instead of just removing ourselves from from the problem. You know, so um, I've I've been doing YouTube videos for for quite a while now, and I recently started this podcast as just another way to reach people and um, and see how it goes. And and you know the the the. The number one goal with this is like I mean the 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 reason why I started podcasting or got into was inspired to start podcasting is because you know I I feel like it's a really great opportunity not only for me to um sit down with people that inspire me and to you know talk to them and and really go deep and 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 learn from them learn from my mentors but also but then to share that conversation, to record that conversation and share it with you guys and hopefully inspire you to think of, um, you know, to, to broaden your perspectives and, and think about things that you haven't thought about before. And that's really my main goal with this, you know. So today I've got a conversation to share with you guys that I recorded just a couple weeks ago with my friend Roy Sassano, who just recently moved to Vancouver from Vancouver Island a few months ago and is now super involved with the uh, vegan activism animal rights scene here. Um, but today we're going to focus specifically on um, something that Roy was involved with um, earlier this year back in the spring of 2016. Um, Roy spent a few months as a Sea Shepherd drone pilot for Operation Milagro 2 which took place in the Sea of Cortez off of the coast of Mexico. So you'll hear, you'll hear more about what this Operation Milagro 2 was um, in our conversation, but essentially the purpose of this operation was to um, help protect the Vaquita porpoise, which is a critically endangered species in this area due to the high prevalence of illegal gillnet fishing of another species called the totoaba fish, which are in huge demand for their swim bladders in, um, in China and in other Asian countries. So this is basically an ongoing campaign to patrol this area, this specific area for poachers, um, help raise awareness of what's going on and collect um, important data. 
and also to directly remove gill nets from the water whenever whenever possible and whenever they can find them. So in this conversation, um, we talk about, you know, kind of what's involved in becoming a Sea Shepherd volunteer. We talk about um, kind of the day-to-day the -day stuff, what it's like, kind of a, a day in the life of of being on the ship. Um, he Roy shares some of his most memorable experiences. And um, yeah, we, we just talk a little bit about like who is and who isn't cut out for, for this kind of work. Just one more quick thing that I want to let you guys know about. Um, the sound quality of this episode is not the greatest. We unfortunately were had to record this um, kind of next to a fairly busy street, so you'll probably hear um, traffic going by. It's not too bad. You can still hear what we're saying, but just uh, just to let you guys know, um, we actually ended up having to go to an emergency vigil because we had arranged to record this um, on the same day that uh, Anita Crunch got arrested at um, the pig truck accident that happened in Toronto a couple weeks ago. You've probably heard about that. Um, so we were kind of, we organized a solidarity vigil here in Vancouver. Um, so we were both out at that and that was kind of the only time that we were able to record the interview. So we, we, we decided to just do it there, um, kind of on the on the street. So just wanted to let you guys know about that quickly, and um, that's pretty much it for me. So without further ado, uh, let's just get right into the episode. I thought before we get into like kind of your experience of like what it was like to volunteer on the Sea Shepherd crew, um, maybe we can, I'm, I'm always curious to hear about like how people get into animal rights activism and, um, and maybe just like your vegan story as well. That would be really interesting. So Okay, we'll maybe, maybe we'll start way, way, way back when I first started to have any kind of yeah. social awareness as a kid. <laughs> Uh, I was disappointed that my elementary school didn't have any paper recycling program. So I raised a fuss and my whole class raised a fuss and then they decided, hey, let's have a paper recycling program. And it was simple and, and very enabling of, uh, of the uh, staff and, and uh, administration of my, of my school at that time. No idea what I was doing and why I was trying to rally up all this trouble, but uh, <laughs> there it was. Fast forward a few years later, and I started dabbling back in Edmonton with a little bit of um, environmental activism, stuff that uh, Greenpeace might have been putting on, for example, and some other groups. Soon after that, I ended up in the Navy in Victoria, BC, and got together with uh, vegans there. Um, at, by that time, I had... Uh, I'd been vegan for a few years just as a result of uh, being more aware of the world and having watched Earthlings and a few other things just personally in my life. So I got together with uh, with some vegans for lots of reasons. Uh, one of them was to get activism going back up in Victoria again and we put together a little group known as Island Animal Liberation. And that brought, uh, slowly built up into a lot of different things. The 
Vancouver Island Vegan Association came came up uh, around the same time as more of an outreach and uh, activities type of organization. Uh, other uh, ad hoc uh, organizations started popping up for various issues around Victoria and also I got in touch with more people in Vancouver for animal activism um, at that time and this all kind of built up towards uh, towards my Sea Shepherd adventure. Cool, so it sounds like it's always been like about the ethics first and foremost for you, like your veganism and, and everything. Yeah, veganism yeah. for me was absolutely uh, first about animal ethics. Yeah. I, I went to social omnivore just just from thinking about it and just from uh, all the stuff that would get in my face in the media mm -hmm. uh, from what activists were doing around the world and the types of types of things they were doing. Let's face it, PETA had a lot of really uh, uh, silly stunts that they'd put on yeah. and it got, kind of got my attention, got me thinking and mm -hmm. I you know, slowly started to phase out meat. Uh, eventually I just cut it out completely the actually the year that my family cat died because I was mm. that, that had an impact on me emotionally mm. how... Uh, I wouldn't want any animal to be hurt, and, and she was on my mind a lot. Mm. And so, obviously, I made a little bit of a connection, you know, compassion for the food animals, and said, no, I'm not going to eat meat anymore, period. Mm. A couple years later, I, uh, uh, you know, was on the tipping point of veganism at the time, and I met another, uh, actually, I met a vegan at work who said, hey, just watch Earthlings. And I said, okay, I'll watch Earthlings. And after a couple of days of not wanting to be in this world, I said, okay, yeah, I'm vegan now. Mm. So that's that. Cool. So what, um, what specifically drew you to Sea Shepherd? And, like, has this been something that you've kind of always wanted to do, like that you've been leading up to for a long time? Or was it kind of... Uh more of a last-minute decision to volunteer with Sea Shepherd? Yeah, it was definitely a long build-up. I, I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't aware of Sea Shepherd and thought it was mm. kind of good what they're doing. Like, even long before I cared about food animals, I, I knew that whales were, like, basically, you know, big humans in the sea. Yeah. And, and it was great that someone was doing something to protect them there. Mm -hmm. But uh, what really did it, I think, was shortly after I went vegan, um, I started meeting other vegans and... One of them said, "Hey, you should watch this movie, Shark Water, which featured uh, Sea Shepherd quite quite a bit, and showed me the bigger picture, uh, the importance of that type of work, not just for whales, but for all ocean wildlife and for the entire planet. How important sharks are, and how how the entire ocean um, uh, ecosystem is directly tied into into the lives of of all land animals, including humans." Yeah. At that point, I said, you know, maybe someday uh, I should actually go do that um, mm -hmm. if I can if I can contribute. Right. And with uh, with my Navy experience, uh, all that stuff coming coming through, and as my career in the Navy was ending, I was thinking, hey, maybe this is maybe my chance right now mm -hmm. to do it. Uh, so I applied, and after uh, a while, um, with the two new ships that Sea Shepherd USA acquired, uh, I was hoping I'd have a chance. And as it turns out, I was a good candidate. Right. Well, I guess you had a lot of stuff going for you with, like, the Navy experience and everything. Yes, absolutely. So. The Navy experience is big. Uh, being being vegan was an important factor. Being yeah, an activist was an important factor just mm -hmm. because, you know, they obviously prefer to have people who are kind of switched on to yeah. the politics and, the, and yeah. the, whole, the big issues. Yeah, so, like, what was the, um, what was the application process to apply for 
to apply for, to be the crew to be a crew member? Well, you can uh, at this point it's probably still the same. You can apply with Sea Shepherd Australia or Sea Shepherd USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make you jump through a few hoops, including printing out applications, uh, having actual physical signatures, mailing them uh, to to uh, get reviewed, uh, paying an application fee. Uh, so first, I did that early in 2015 with Sea Shepherd Australia. Sea Shepherd USA wasn't really doing anything at the time, and didn't hear back. Uh, later in the spring, well, actually at that point, I pretty much said, "Okay, you know what? I applied. I'm happy with myself, um, and I know there's a lot of good I can do here anyway." But then I saw the little press release with the two new ships in Sea Shepherd USA uh, getting back into action, so I just applied to Sea Shepherd USA that point and pretty much heard back uh, uh, actually I didn't get a confirmation that they received my application so I sent an email and uh, and had an interview the next day actually as it turns out my Australia application was was uh, somehow missed because oh, no. it, yeah apparently they're really happy with my with my uh, experience mm-hmm. and with activism and with the Navy and with other lots mm-hmm. of other things that were useful on a ship uh, so uh, yeah I was a, a really strong candidate because of that and uh, yeah, so I was I was pretty much signed up um, right away right. as soon as uh, as soon as my application was received. So cool. So can, um, can you talk a little bit about this specific campaign that you were working on and what like what the goal was, what it was trying to achieve a little bit? Operation Milagro, down in the Sea of Cortez, the northern Sea of Cortez, also known as the Gulf of California, Mexico. There is a critically endangered species of porpoise, in fact the most uh, critically endangered cetacean in the world, called the vaquita. Vaquita is uh, about four feet long, one and a half meters long as adults, and they're endemic to the area. They, there might be fewer than 50, maybe, maybe even fewer than that now. Um, so they're in, in real trouble. Now what's happening down there is uh, there's another... Uh, critically endangered species of fish called the totoaba. Uh, basically, some jerk decided to tell people in China that the totoaba swim bladder is magical. Wow. So the increasing demand for this fish uh, drove fishermen to um, use illegal gill nets and illegal long lines to catch them, uh, often just cutting out the swim bladders themselves and uh, shaving them across the ocean, also illegally. The gill nets that are used to catch the totoaba are roughly the right size to catch a vaquita as well. So both these critically endangered species are getting destroyed from all this, uh, all the poaching in the northern Sea of Cortez. So, Sea Shepherd came in, uh, when was that, 20... First in, I believe it was early 2015, the sailing vessel Martin Sheen was, or may still be operating in this area in Vancouver right now. Uh, they were able to mostly just monitor and report activity there, and the Mexican Navy was ramping up their effort to um, to stop the poaching. A little bit while later, once uh, Sea Shepherd USA acquired the two new ships, which you might be aware were former U.S. Coast Guard vessels mm. uh, meant for uh, uh, pursuit in coastal waters. Um, so we ended up on the Farley Moat and went in to help. By the time we got there... Uh, we were lucky enough that we were allowed to pull these uh, the illegal fishing gear out of the water uh, with a few conditions. 
So uh, our mission was uh, kind of twofold or threefold even. One, document what's happening there, catch the poachers uh, on camera as much as possible, detect illegal fishing, uh, illegal fishing gear in the water, remove it, and also just patrol the area to prevent mm -hmm. the poachers from operating at all. Right. Cool. So did you have like a specific role while you were on the ship or...? Was it kind of I, was, I was brought on, uh, well, first off, in the, in the prep stage, there's all sorts of different work that had to be done. Everybody had to do some kind of metal work, a whole bunch of uh, general uh, physical labor. Okay. Soon after I was made communications officer, I was, the, uh, I was a communicator in the Navy and had an IT background from, from the Navy and before. So I was tasked with uh, building a network for the ship. Um, also, all the radio uh, operations, as much as I could sort out, I had to sort out. And uh, sometimes that extended to things well outside uh, my previous work experience. I was in charge of a project to install a radar, actually, on the ship. Um, I was able to do a good, good chunk of that work, which I, I guess saved them quite a bit of money uh, before the final bits of connection, which, uh, which had to be done by the... Uh, uh, by an authorized uh, installer. By the time um, we got on campaign, uh, for the most of it, most part, I ended up being the second officer with my own own bridge watches. And for the very end, actually, I was actually the executive officer, which is uh, on that ship, kind of sharing the duties of first officer uh, and uh, working right uh, right under the captain at that point. Cool. So, um, how long was the operation like in total, and how many how many crew members were there, all in total? In total, in the Sea of Cortez, we were there from uh, January uh, through the end of April. So it was, it was four months. I was with the ship for about nine months, uh, starting with the prep in uh, Key West, Florida and finishing in, in San Diego a little bit just for some uh, doing some tours at that point and uh, just trying to keep uh, keep the ship secure and safe while all this stuff was happening I think that was your question what yeah was it? yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah and how many crew members oh how many there? crew members yeah. right sorry the ship normally had about 15 people uh, we, I think we got as low as 13 oh, okay. at times, hmm. and I think we even got 19 people in there, which is more than we were able to carry. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we were able to uh, uh, shove some people for in, uh, improvised sleeping spaces for that mm. and, and make that happen. And the reason why that happens is because we had a few occasions where we had media come on board. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we found, found places for them to, them to stay and had to rotate the crew around, mm. around them. Interesting. Cool. So can you describe like what uh, what a typical day in the life of being a Sea Shepherd crew member is like? Well, for our campaign, once we got into into a groove, once when we were operating at peak efficiency, we would be during the day uh, we'd be towing towing hooks through the water with a specialized uh, um, system because you have to keep them down low in the water. So there's almost a little a wing yeah. down the water to hold the hooks down. Uh, that was invented by uh, uh, Adam Connis, uh, with a little help from uh, Willie Hatfield. Both uh, both were on the crew for uh, for the campaign. Um, so we'd be towing those around, detecting the nets. When we hooked one, we'd uh, depending on the situation, 
we'd either uh, pull it up onto the deck or we'd launch the Zodiac and have uh, have some crew on the Zodiac to, to pull the thing up. Sometimes we'd split off um, into into groups because we had Martin Sheen, we had the Farley Mowat, and we had the small boat. So sometimes they'd all be out there um, one way or another trying to trying to pull something out of the water. During the day, it wasn't so much patrolling because the poachers operate mostly at night. So... Mm. Uh, once uh, once night nightfall came, everything changed. We switched to uh, a lot of times patrolling, or sometimes even parking somewhere out in the in the water, uh, looking on the radar, see what we can see. Sometimes we'd go take a look ourselves if we saw a radar contact. Uh, sometimes we'd uh, launch one of the uh, quadcopters, the uh, quote drone mm. unquote vehicles to uh, uh, to go take a look. We actually got some night vision aerial footage. That was really handy, both for uh, for just being able to take that footage to the Mexican Navy and say, "Hey, look what's happening here! Um, look at how many how many poachers are out there!" And sometimes even uh, we're lucky enough to see them, catch them in the act, and go, you know, grab their nets, go uh, go chase them out of the area right then and there. And uh, a couple times we actually got the the Navy um, uh, on the radio at the same time. So we were able to, uh, you know, chase them out of there, go get the nets or, or long line ourselves, and then the navy would uh, go pursue the poachers okay. uh, to try to make an arrest. Interesting. So, like, what was it like, um, kind of working with the Mexican navy and Mexican government? Sounds like they were, like, pretty cooperative, and, like, pretty like on your side and everything. Yeah, um, definitely. The the navy is on our side. They didn't. I don't know if they had the resources to do as much as you know we would like to do, which is okay. kind of a reason why Sea Shepherd is there. Yeah, uh, not just to document, but to help out. Yeah, because we had that you know just the extra extra eyes uh, in the water. Mm. It was very helpful. But uh, I sense that there's definitely you know a little bit of a tension um, because going after the poachers can also make life tougher for uh, fishermen operating legally. And that entire area is uh, the economy, as far as I know, runs on on fishing, a little mm-hmm. bit of tourism, but uh, largely fishing. Okay. So, you know, the government is definitely very, very much on board for for saving the vaquita and the totoaba. Yeah. And actually, all the all the ocean life in there, because you know they're they're all being put in danger from from poaching. Those gillnets don't really discriminate. Uh, but uh, I think they have to be kind of careful about it. So, so it's kind of nice for Sea Shepherd to come in and for outside media, worldwide media, to come in and be showing the world, hey, look at this stuff. And it gives the government a little bit more uh, leverage um, with the uh, with the Mexican people to say, hey, look, you know, we, we know that we don't want to uh, mess with the with the fishermen, but uh, look at what's happening. We have to do something. Mm. So, you know, just recently, um, the. The protected areas in the uh, Northern Sea of Cortez, where it is, it can be absolutely illegal or, or illegal in certain times and certain ways to put out these gill nets or, or these long lines. Uh, that was going to be a temporary ban, and it's been extended um, after uh, after all this worldwide attention after and after uh, actually the uh, um, U.S. president um, uh, went down there and just kind of talked about that too. And, and so it's become a higher priority now. Uh, thanks to thanks to Sea Shepherd, thanks to um, what uh, we and the, and the Mexican Navy were seeing down there. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that like you had some uh, some big names, some celebrities coming on board. <laughs> did did any of them like help you to get any like better um, kind of coverage of the of the issues or anything? 
Well, uh, the we had a couple the, off the top of my head. We had uh, Greg Lowe, an actor from uh, actor from the uh, the new X Men movies, uh, on board for a bit. Okay. And I understand that uh, that was quite a bit, bit of a uh, boost for the fundraising effort and, yeah. and for people following. Um, because of that, we also had a uh, Canadian uh, Survivor Man come on board. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I knew about him uh, through friends. I never watched his show, but uh, he also came on board just to just to you know document and, and post a bunch of stuff on his social media, just to say, hey, look at what's happening here. And um, and he he was actually you know he didn't fully understand the whole whole problem. Uh, so he was very happy to just to learn learn about it, almost as uh, starting off as the as a neutral voice in the whole issue. Uh, so yeah, we had a we had a couple of funny funny celebrity visits um, that uh, I'm not sure how big an impact they had uh, as far as getting mainstream media on board. Yeah, but uh, they definitely had had uh, impact on on getting uh, getting people more aware of what was happening down there on social media, mm. which you know might might have been a reason why you know we had CBS and CNN and right. people like that coming. Uh, coming to find out what's going on. Hmm. Interesting. So, was there any like any special experiences that you can uh, remember off the top of your head? Like, was there any? Um, were you ever involved directly with any rescues or anything? Or uh, directly? That's hard to say. It's uh, my role on the ship um, was mostly not the glamorous type okay like I'd have, yeah. I'd have a, I'd have a bridge watch and I'd be chasing things around at night but that wasn't really the type of stuff that uh, um, that the camera is really rolled for I guess yeah that, that's the thing uh, the communication stuff same thing it's like uh, not so much the big uh, big memories that I have um, there was a adolescent humpback whale that actually got entangled in a gill net like i said they don't discriminate yeah and this is a huge team effort we had two sea shepherd vessels the mexican navy they had we had the mexican government's um, environmental organization called profepa out there as well all coordinating this rescue effort uh we sent out our boats they sent out their boats survivor man actually went out on one of the boats mm. too to to take a few uh uh, cuts at the net with a knife. Um, we had to rotate through. It was pretty hard work, so it was good to have uh, have more people on board. I was taking care of the the ship, the Farley Moat, uh, for most of that, and I also got to document a little bit uh, aerial aerial footage, um, which you can actually see uh, online if you take a look there at the video from the uh, whale rescue effort. So okay. I did, didn't get to anything directly there. Um, more. More directly, I guess, uh, was the night that uh, uh, on patrol where something really, really interesting happened. Um, I was it was just the middle of the night, just uh, slow slow patrols, and we were looking at radar contacts, chasing some of them around, and uh, all of a sudden we we actually we had a contact that kind of stopped and just appeared to be just looking at us uh, from a fairly close distance, like within within two nautical miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hand over the bridge to my quartermaster, uh, Rodrigo. Uh, awesome, Rodrigo. Hi, hope you're listening to this. Uh, he's back down there now, actually. Okay. Um, well, I flew our, uh, our nighttime aircraft and just to check it out. Now, the two of us, we were thinking at the time, this must have been the Mexican Navy out there uh, because there's a pretty bright uh, moon, so they thought they must have seen us. 
Um, but as I charged in kind of carelessly, uh, kind of carelessly, we noticed that, uh, no, it was, those are definitely the poachers out there. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, and they, they were, um, weren't sure exactly what they were doing. We thought they were laying out a net. Um, but as soon as they saw me, you see them panic and dump the net and just speed off. Huh. So I chased them for, for a little bit. Um, uh, we reported to the Navy and uh, confirmed the Navy was in pursuit and had their, had their location. Huh. Uh, so Rodrigo and I uh, went back, um, back towards the original location, woke some of the crew up at the time, not everybody yet. Uh, just to check it out. Uh, once we located the net, um, everybody was up. Uh, pulling that thing out of the water and uh, yeah it was a very uh, very exciting moment when they confirmed they, they had the net because that was the first time that we had a confirmed documentation of poachers uh, Totoaba poachers operating at night and we were able to show the Mexican Navy that uh, they're 100% proof here's the net we pulled out at their location and uh, here's the footage of, of what they were doing out there. And nice. as it turns out, I think they're they're uh, laying out. A, they had laid out a net, and they harvest them and, and continue uh, uh, and, and leave them where they were. If it's a, if it's a successful location for them, mm. that's what it looked like they were doing. Yeah. Cool. So um, overall, would you say that the mission was successful, or do you do you think it's like uh, is it something that is going to be continuing or? What do you think? It is continuing. They're they're out there now uh, mm-hmm. again. And as far as success goes, I I think if you judge success by the amount of attention that uh, that the world has now on the issue, then yes, absolutely successful. If you judge success by how much how much illegal fishing equipment we pulled out of the water, hey, we still pulled out what some fifty. 50 something uh, mm-hmm. piece of legal fishing gear and that's just us like the Mexican yeah. Navy is out there too okay um, you know they, and I'm sure they'd be doing it anyway but they they have more resources thanks to mm-hmm. the additional attention that this issue is having so uh, there's success there but you know when you go down there there's still so much uh, so much poaching poaching happening out there mm-hmm. and maybe the worst of it is the stuff that's legal um, actually there's another memory I have out there, there during uh, storms where the poachers can't really operate safely, and we couldn't really operate uh, uh, safely. We'd sometimes go take refuge at a little anchorage uh, south of our normal location. Uh, the first time we went down there, uh, you know, we'd, we'd anchored, and a couple hours later, all these trawlers start coming in. Mm. Because they're, they're out there, too, and, you know, they, they needed shelter. The next thing you know, you see, like, all these, like, just dozens and dozens of trawlers out there anchored, anchored right next to you, right around you. And it occurs to, occurred to me that you know we'd spent all these months preparing all the all the fundraising, all the all the work that everybody put into it just to go down there and and pull a few nets out of the water. But there's dozens of these trawlers just in that one area of the world, just operating every day, just ripping everything out of the ocean every single day. Uh, so that's kind of a a, a downer. Um, yeah. But you know, you, you take the small victories that you can. Right. I guess you gotta just focus on that. Do focus, what you can do. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and hope that uh, you know the world wakes up and, and we start changing the way we changing the way we live mm. a little bit. Yeah. Cool. So now that you've um, had the experience of working on a Sea Shepherd vessel, who like who would you say is cut out for that kind of work, and who isn't? Like, <laughs> what do you think? Well, uh, what do you think it takes? 
Sea Shepherd <laughs> likes to talk about you know being able to do amazing things with inexperienced crew, uh, and a lot of people saw it that way. I, I I saw it a little bit differently. You know, there's sure people might not have been experienced doing that kind of work or working on that kind of vessel, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe I was. But even then, I you know it's, uh, I wasn't that experienced, and that's a, it was a new ship to me too. Yeah. But everybody had, we had people with so many different skills that you might not have thought were, were that important. You know, if you can, if you can weld, if you can, if you can turn a screw or, or, uh, or use a hammer uh, effectively, then that can be really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you just love the ocean, you've probably been out there on a boat. You've probably, you know, done some diving. Then that's super important too. So we had, you know, people with those types of skills that, uh, and they were very experienced in it. You know, they might not have been uh, experienced in exactly what we were doing, but uh, it's something, you know, they're, they're different skill sets they can adapt and yeah. make it work for what they're trying to do. Uh, so don't be surprised if you have a skill that can make you useful on a, on a vessel like that. Um, sometimes though, what's most important is if you have an understanding of problems in the world, if... Uh, if you care about uh, any animals in the world at all, then that's going to keep you going when when things get rough. And sometimes that's that's what you need. You need to have that mindset where you're here for a reason and you, and you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of people on board who were, um, I describe as mercenaries or adventurers. Okay. Uh, and, you know, that that's good too, but, uh, you know, someti- sometimes for them it was just like... <laughs> They, they, they just didn't, didn't, the sometimes, sometimes they didn't have the, the same type of drive as, yeah, as some other some yeah. other people you, you can oh, see. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, but uh, you know, not to say that there are still still great crewmates and everything. Mm. Um, some of the best people I've worked with. Uh, but uh, it can it can definitely really help if if uh, you go into something like that for the right reasons right from the start, and you're full, you're aware of what's happening in the world. You're aware of what's happening to whales and. and animals on land you know because they're all connected in, yeah. in a lot of ways not just uh, not just in some spiritual sense but in really really um concrete uh scientific sense you know, there's this huge connection between between all the uh, all the living creatures on this on this planet yeah. and if you once you become more aware of that uh, it can really help you uh, in so many ways for operating in a on, in sea shepherd just for motivation also for being able to talk about it with uh, other people on the crew with mm. uh, if media comes if 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 there's tours on board, or, or just someone just comes up to the ship while you're docked somewhere and starts asking you, "Hey, what's what's this all about?" Right, you uh, gotta know the, your yeah, facts you gotta, and everything. And yeah, you gotta you gotta know a little bit of what's yeah. what's going on in it. Well, if, if you do, it just makes makes things a lot more or pleasant for you. Mm-hmm. One thing you do have to have for sure is you have to have a little bit of, uh, um, you know, I, I mentioned that you need things to keep you going sometimes. So you do have to have a little bit of patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, sea Shepherd is uh, a big NGO, and there's going to be politics and right. and bureaucracy and yeah. I was going to ask you, go, you about <laughs> that. Like, how was it like working with? I guess you already touched on it, kind of, but like, how was it working with all the other crew and everything? Well, um, <laughs> we we had a, a funny mix of uh, people. Like, when I first got there, it was pretty much all activists and yeah. and then uh, uh, due to some. Mismanagement of personnel. We ended up losing people. That, you know, mm. they either had to go or, or they were mistreated and they left. Um, so we, ended, you know, we ended up with a mix of, of the activists, of the the vegans, and, and the strict anti-vegan type people on oh, board, like, like hostile anti-veganism. Wow. Uh, we had 
uh, like I mentioned, some, like some mercenaries. We had people of all political stripes. We had Trump supporters on board. You know, <laughs> you know, is is really really funny. And and in the end, you know, you just come together because mm. uh, you, on some level, care about what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and and you all you put it, put it together, and it, it can make a make for a funny thing. Funny team, but funny yeah, mix of it, people, <laughs> and it can be hard. But, uh, mm. but yeah, it's uh, uh, you have to have a little bit of patience uh, for in those situations. I guess is, is the way to put it. Yeah, cool. So, do you think you'd uh, do you think you'd ever go and work on uh, Sea Shepherd crew well, again? Uh, right now, I don't have any plans to. Um, first, it's once you're uh, once you're kind of trying to be a grown up it becomes hard to drop everything because I actually yeah. dropped everything to go mm-hmm. uh, and do that and I'm yeah. just starting to rebuild uh, rebuild my life in Canada now uh, so no plans to do that uh, I was uh, you know a little bit disheartened by the uh, by the politics you know it wasn't uh-huh. too unexpected but uh, I didn't think it would um, I guess affect my ability to do my job so uh, so much directly I thought it might have been just kind of this idea that you know I, you're working in a big organization there's going to be weird stuff mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it definitely started to affect the crew and you know, I was very protective of, of that crew of that ship and I, I didn't yeah. want to stand for that too much uh, having said that if uh, you know if a life situation is again where I, I could see myself giving up everything or being able to uh, uh, to take time away from life to do that um and let's say we got, uh, you know, for sure, you know, I knew that good people were going to be on the crew, uh, kind of running running the show. Like we had some good people, Ca- Captain uh, Captain Henderson, who we had on our transit towards there, and who was captain for the end of campaign, who was uh, really great with the crew. And, uh, you know, if he asked me, then that would definitely be a big factor there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I know that no matter what, they'll be able to do do good work out there. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, with or without me. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about uh, about the oceans dying because I won't go back or anything. But, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be definitely be a potentially very fulfilling experience again uh, if the situation's right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I think that just about does it. Unless there's uh, anything else you wanted to add. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Is she going to be listening to this? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah? Cool. Sweet. Well, yeah, it was really um, interesting, like, getting to hear that insight into what it's like to be on board. And, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing about your experience and everything. It was really cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Alright guys, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope it uh, gave you some insight as to what it's like to be a Sea Shepherd crew member, if it's it's something that you've ever thought about or considered, as I know I have. Um, So yeah, let me know. I'd love to hear from you if you if you enjoyed the episode, if you have any comments, or if you have any criticisms, anything that you think I could do better or improve on for the coming episodes, um, you know, send me a message, um, Plant Powered Activist on Facebook, Plant Powered Activist on Instagram, um, 
and yeah, I'm really excited to, for the next uh, couple of weeks. I've got uh, I've got some more really awesome um, conversations recorded that I will be putting out for you guys, and that's about it for now. So um, stay tuned for those, and uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. So you can stay up to date with all the new episodes that I'll be putting out in the coming weeks. And, um, you know, if you feel like it, let your friends and, and family know about this uh, this podcast as well. So we can get more listeners, more of a community going. And I would really appreciate that. So thank you for listening once again. And I will see you next week. Peace.